Joshua chapter number one. Joshua chapter number one. Appreciate your worship this morning. Entering in. Thank you, worship team. Great job as usual. Visitors, God bless you. Good to have you this morning. Uh, normal crossway people, God bless you. Good to have you this morning. Amen. It'd be pretty boring to preach if none of y'all showed up. So I'm glad for y'all to come. Good to have you today. Um, so this past week, uh, we had a, a pastor's conference. Westside hosted it, and we uh, kind of teamed up with them. Our church and a couple other local churches teamed up with them to uh, put on a pastor's conference. And, and pastors came from different places throughout the state. Um, just a time to kind of connect and uh, disconnect from, every, from ministry and everything and come together and worship the Lord together and hear a word for ourselves. Uh, we preachers need to be preached at too, believe me. In fact, we need it, we need it more than you all do, if the truth be known. Um, it was a good time. It was a really good time. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on Thursday evening, they'd asked me to, to bring the message. And the, the whole theme of the uh, conference was raising up the next generation. Our call, our responsibility um, it's easy for us as adults in the ministry to, to kind of get tunnel vision. You know, we kind of get wrapped up in what God is calling us to do, and we just do it and, uh, and fail to see sometimes that this thing will go on after us. And so that was kind of the, the heart of it. And, and so I shared a message with these pastors. And as I'm preaching that night, uh, and I'm not going to preach the obviously the exact same message that I preached then because some of those things that apply to pastors and preachers, but there were, there were a few points throughout that message that as I'm preaching and I'm thinking to myself, this is something that I've got to share with my church. Um, and the target here is, is twofold. Number one, um, to talk to young people this morning. And we got a lot of young people in our church and we are so blessed. Uh, our young people from, you know, God has blessed us with good youth leaders from the little bitty ones to the preteens to the teenagers and now even to the young adults from uh, high school and into, into college and uh, great leaders that can sow into our kids. And uh, so, you know, now I look out here and I see uh, these young people, I, don't even, I can't even call them kids anymore. They're 17, 18 years old, you know, about to graduate. Uh, I want to talk to you all this morning um, about what maybe God would have you to do for, with your life. Those are things that you need to think about now. Amen? How many, you, how many of you adults, God had to kind of blindside you with what his will was for your life? That's what he had to do with me. And I look back and I think, man, what? I, I, I wish I'd give a little more attention to praying and asking God for him to direct my path. And so I want to talk to young, young people today to know, to maybe get you thinking and starting a conversation with God. What is it that you want me to do with my life? What is my calling? What is my purpose? And I also want to talk to us adults um, who have the responsibility of raising these young people. So if, if you're young or if you're old, uh, raise your hand this morning. Okay. All right. So pretty much, so everybody should get something from this message. I didn't see anybody didn't raise their hand. I don't know what category that would be. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand in one of those. So I want, I want you to see the target audience here this morning and the purpose, because here's the thing. Um, everybody's going to get something from this word this morning. It'll speak to you in different ways. Um, what is my role? And then you as a parent or a grandparent or as a pastor or as a youth leader or teachers, um, recognizing the gifts and the talents that are in uh, those that are underneath us. You hear me talk about this a lot, especially when we have people like uh, Pastor Tarsum who came and shared with us uh, a couple weeks ago. And Pastor Tarsum is from India. 
And you know, you can listen to him and, and he, sometimes he's kind of hard to understand and stuff and, you know, because he's, he's, he's got that accent. He talks about these veggie tables, right? I mean, you, so he's kind of hard to, to understand. Um, but you, you stop, when you stop and realize how great, how big and how widespread the kingdom of God is, uh, see, I, I grew up with this mentality, not that anybody told me this, I just grew up thinking this way, that, that Christians went to Blackjack Church, Right? That was the church I grew up in, a little old church over in Dora, and you know, I mean, 50, 60 people, people maybe, 70 at the very tops, I don't remember how many, but uh, that's, that was being a Christian, going to Blackjack Church, that's where Christians went, right? And so, what an eye-opener for me to realize that the kingdom of God is far greater than the walls of Blackjack Church. And so I want you all to understand that you're part of something awesome, something so much bigger than just what takes place here within the walls of Crossway Fellowship Church. God is raising up a great ministry here, and, and he's given us a platform. He's given us um, gifts and talents and, and abilities and a voice. God has given us a voice in our day, and our generation, in our community through this church, and that's a great thing. And so we, we, we devote ourselves to the work of God in this church. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to do so. We'll talk later about some opportunities there are in this church to serve, Je- to serve the church and to serve Jesus and to serve the community. But, but the kingdom of God is so much bigger than just where you go to church, amen? And I'm glad for that. So let me just kind of start here in, in Joshua, the first chapter. And the first two verses, I'm not even going to read the entire second verse. I'm just going to read the first five words of the second verse, which is really where I'm going to take my title for this message this morning. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, who was Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Kind of an odd title for a message, but that's what I'm going to title my message. Moses, my servant, is dead. Bow with me. Father, we look to you again because, as we said in worship, worship is empty without your spirit. It's empty without your anointing. It's just music. With your anointing, it cultivates the ground of our heart. It does something to us, does something for us. Same way with your word today, God. If it's just in my flesh, maybe this would be a good speech. Maybe it would be a flop. But with your anointing, you can take your word and it can produce fruit in our hearts. Your word, you said, would never return void. So I pray, God, that each one of us, your word would have its perfect work in us. I pray for your anointing as the messenger today. Open our eyes, as we sang earlier, to see what the truth of your word is and what it is you're looking for us from your church, the church of Jesus Christ, and from Crossway. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, this is a very packed statement, okay? God is talking to Joshua, who was a young man. God is saying to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, that wasn't just a, it wasn't just small talk. God wasn't just saying to Joshua, hey, did you hear Moses passed away? You know, his funeral services will be such and such time. At such, you know, God wasn't saying to Joshua, number one, Joshua already knew Moses was dead. So when God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, Joshua knew exactly what God was saying by saying that. It was a packed statement. Ultimately, what God was saying to Joshua when he came and said, Moses is dead, he's saying, it's time now. It's time for you to lead. When you read through, um, you know, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and we read the ministry that Moses had, the amazing things that God did that we still are in awe about today, the Red Sea, the plagues of Egypt, 
the water coming out of the rock. I mean, all the miraculous things God did through the nation of Israel, he did through Moses. Moses would say, hey, Lord, I can't, I can't lead these people. I can't even talk very well. And God said, I'm, I'm going to give you the word. I know what your weaknesses are. See, whenever, when God calls us into service, whatever that service might be, if there, there's, there's a lot of times, most of the time, there comes the, the, uh, the obvious of our weaknesses. I can't do this because such and such and such and such. And God always says, I know what your weaknesses are. I made you. And so God, despite Moses' weaknesses, anointed him and used him to do great and mighty things. But Moses was a man, flesh and blood, and he could only live so long. He's 120 years old, I believe, if I remember correctly. He's only going to only live so long, God had to prepare somebody else to take over the reins when Moses died. And so I'm 44, 43 years, 40, am I 43? 43 years old, give or take. Um, my dad, I used to ask my dad when I was a kid, how old are you, dad? And he'd have to get out a pencil and paper and, and do some traction. And I was like, how, how can you not know how old you are? And, and now I'm at that age where years go by so fast, I forget. I'm 43, 40 year, 44 years old, right around through there. And... Uh, um, I plan on staying around for a good long while. I hope that I'm alive. I have no aspirations of any other calling. I don't know what God's going to call me to do later in life, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to pastor this church until the day that I die. So if that's when I'm 90 or that's when I don't know if I'll pastor that long. You guys probably don't want me to pastor that long. But at whatever point, uh, but I'm, I might die tomorrow. You know, I mean, I, I, could go to, I could go be with Jesus tomorrow. We just have no promise of tomorrow. And so... It's got me to thinking now more, it's like, well, what will this look like? What will the dynamic of this church look like when, when I'm gone? Because if this church is built on me, then as soon as I'm gone, the church is coming down. What a shame. I mean, you know, there's a lot of you guys that have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and prayer uh, into this church. It, it can't all hinge on me. It can't. It'll be a faulty, weak, shifty church. So I'm thinking, God, use me, use us to raise up a younger generation that they know what the gospel is really all about. That they know what church is really all about and prepare them for that day. So if you hang left and go back into Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is, this is one of the ways that we as uh, the called, the adults, the leaders now. This is, these are... I'm going to make three points here this morning of what I believe God is showing us, what he showed Moses, how he was to prepare Joshua to take over leadership. So here's how we as leaders today prepare the younger people to take over leadership. This is how young people, this is what you're looking for. This is what you need to pray for and look for that one day you might be prepared. And let me, let me just give you a word of advice for those of you that are already thinking, I don't want it. I don't even go down that road. I mean, God is more bullheaded than you are, I promise. Okay, he's, he's more stubborn and he's more bullheaded. He will win. You just as well yield to the call of God early, amen? And, and, and now, I tried to get out of this. I really did. I didn't want this. This was not my plan. My plan was to be a banker. Uh, God had a different plan. I fought, you know the song, I fought the law and the law won. I fought the Lord and the Lord won, right? He was more stubborn than I was. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for the calling that God has, has given me. But anyway, in this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 31, I'm not gonna read all of it, but basically, you know, Moses, he gathers all of the people of Israel together, all of them. And he says, look, I'm 120 years old. I'm about to die. And I think that should go without saying when you're 120 years old, right? Moses ultimately said, hey guys, I can't go on forever. 
And so he brings Joshua in. He said, Joshua is going to go over at your head. In other words, he's given them, here's what God's going to do with your nation. And Joshua is the one that God chose to lead you. In verse 7, it says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. You shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I'm going to read some more verses here, and then I'm going to come back and talk about these. You'll, you'll, you can go back and read these later. You'll see these three points that, that Moses is sharing with Joshua. In verse 10, Moses commanded them, and Joshua, obviously, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to, to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Go down to verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the day is approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, which was kind of a makeshift temple. That is a big tent, but that's basically where they met with God. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. Verse number 23. The Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Does the message that God gave to Joshua sound a little bit like the message God gave to Moses? Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be wimpy. I will be with you. That's what he, he promised that to Moses, and God was faithful. And now he promised it to Joshua, and he was faithful. Well, I can stand here today, and I can tell you different things that I have witnessed God do throughout my ministry, this church being one. I've literally sat back and watched God do things, amazing, miraculous things, and the thing about anything that you see me do that God has done, know that it was God, but know that the same God that worked in me is also working in you. God does not change. And so as, as God is preparing now Joshua to take the reins, three things that we see in this that Moses was doing to prepare Joshua for leadership. Number one, he tells Joshua, don't be afraid, the Lord fights for you. Don't be afraid, the Lord fights for you. Moses is preparing Joshua for leadership by telling him, don't rely on your own leadership. Don't rely on your own abilities. God will fight for you. Joshua, it wasn't me that pulled the Red Sea back. God did that. And Joshua, there are going to be times when you absolutely don't know what to do. That, that's in leadership. That's in ministry. That's in life. We can all, I think, testify if we've lived any time at all. Even younger people can already say there's times in our life we come to a place where we, we just literally, we're, we're facing something and we can literally honestly say, I don't know what to do. And it's a very frustrating place to be in. You know how many times as, as a pastor, there's a decision to be made or a change to be made or something to be done. And, and I'm just, I sit there and I rack my brain and I think and I think and I lay awake at night. I'm looking at the ceiling and I think, I'm trying to figure it out. And I realize how inadequate I am. And I become afraid. God, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. How are we going to do this? How are we going to meet this? And, and, and one thing God has taught me is that he is not trusting. He, God is not relying in my strength. 
God wants me to rely in his strength. Joshua, there's gonna be times you're simply not gonna know what to do, but here's what you gotta always know as a leader, God will fight your battles for you. He's a supernatural God. He goes beyond the natural to do miraculous things. We gotta believe him for that. We gotta trust him for that. The second thing that Moses is saying to Joshua to prepare him for leadership, keep God's word fresh in you. Okay, it wasn't just to read your devotional every day. Keep God's word fresh in you. Don't let what you hear from God, what you, the words that you know to be from God, don't let them get stale. Don't just let it be a memory verse that you learned. Let it become real to you. Let God's word stay fresh. Now, there was something specific that Moses told the people to do. You may have caught this. God said to Moses and ultimately to Joshua, Every seven years, I want you to gather all of Israel together. The men, the women, the boys, the girls, the babies, the rich, the poor, everybody. Gather the entire nation of Israel together every seven years and read the entire book of the law. That's basically reading Genesis through Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy. It's basically reading the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy all the way through. I'm sure people didn't look forward to that seven years where they had to listen to the law. All of the feasts, we have to do this feast. We have to offer this sacrifice. We have to do this ritual. He read it all. Every seven years, read it all to the entire nation. Now, obviously, the reason God wanted him to do that was so that the word of God would always be fresh. They wouldn't forget, because here's what happens, not only in the word of God, but in every aspect of life. If you don't think about something very long, eventually you're gonna forget about it, amen? That's why they made sticky notes. Right? I should have took out I should have took stock in the sticky note company. I can't live without sticky notes. And then you know I sometimes I gotta make write myself a sticky note to remember to look at my sticky note. I have had my wife call me or text me and say, hey, do such and such or pick up such and such, and I'll say, okay. I'll have a text, I'll say, okay, I'll write a sticky note, I'll put it on my steering wheel, and still get home without it. When you don't think of something, you forget it. That's just that's just the way that's human nature. And the word of God is the same. We don't think about it on purpose. The Bible teaches us to meditate on it, to meditate on the word of God. And so not just mindlessly reading it, but meditating, what is God saying here? More importantly, what is God saying to me here? And so every seven years, he reads the law so that it stays fresh in the people. Now, flash forward about 800 years. You would read it somewhere along the lines of 2 Chronicles, I think around the 34th chapter. We read about a young man whose name was Josiah. Took over as king, eight years old. I'm all for training up people as young as possible, but eight years old is a little early to be running a country. How many of you agree with that? But God chose him. Eight years old, Josiah becomes king of Israel. And he decides early in his, in his reign, I'm gonna follow after God. He had seen his dad was a horrible example. His grandfather was a horrible example. Ungodly people. But there was something in Josiah that says, I don't want that. I've seen, I've seen what rebellion did to my dad and my grandpa, so I'm, I'm going to seek God. And that is the smartest, smartest decision any young person could ever make. you got a decision to make, especially those of you who are about to graduate high school. you got a decision where you're going to go to college or if you're going to go to college. Uh, if, you know, who you're going to marry, if you're going to marry uh, how many kids you're going to have? Hopefully that's a decision you're, you're thinking about later on, not quite right now. But you've got so many decisions that have to be made. What kind of career, uh, where am I going to live, so on and so forth. And those are all very important decisions that you, can, you should give a lot of 
consideration and thought to, but there is no greater decision than to make the decision to seek God. I mean, literally, to humbly come before God and say, God, I have breath in my lungs because you put it there. I exist and I live because of you. Show me what my purpose, honor yourself through my life. Now, Josiah did that early at eight years old. Now, if you read the the whole scripture, the Bible says that that Josiah went through the land, he got rid of all of the idols, and, and then he decides that he's going to rebuild the temple. The temple had just been had just been devastated by enemies. Wall, I mean, everything had just been collapsed and just ransacked by enemies. And it is laid in rubble. Now, if you do the math, the Bible says that he was eight years old when he became king. In the 18th year of his reign, which would make him what? Eight plus 18 is 26. Some of you are going, I forgot my abacus today, right? Uh, uh, the kids are going, abacus, abacus, I must remember. Um, it's an ancient calculator. Kids are going, calculator, calculator, calculator. What is that? <laughs> We've got computers. And anyway, um, so, uh, every, so he's, he's 26 years old. Starts king at eight years old. He reigns 18 years, so now he's 26 years old. He decides to rebuild the temple. The worship of God had been non-existent in his country. And he's going to restore that. We've got, we've got to start worshiping God again, Josiah says. And how many of you would agree with that today? We've got to start really worshiping God again. Not just going to church, worshiping God. There's a difference. And so he's restoring worship in his country, and he says, I want you to rebuild the temple. And so he sends a team in there, and they're, they're going through all of the rubble. They're pulling stones. They're dusting things off, and they're getting it all. Rather, well, they, they come across a book of the law, okay? All of the writings of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses, which included the Ten Commandments and all of these things. And they get this book of the law, and they, they, they dust it off, And they bring it to King Josiah, and they read it to him. And the Bible says that when he heard it, he he ripped his clothes. That was something they did back in Bible times. The Bible says they would rent their clothes as as a sign of repentance, as a sign of despair and frustration. They would just they would rent their clothes, and it told the whole world basically, "I'm pitching a fit right here." You know, I mean, I'm I'm in repentance. And so he rips his clothes in the sign of repentance. When the king did that, everybody knew about it. Anytime the king rent his clothes, the whole land knew. Everybody gets on their phone, they start texting, get on Facebook. The king just ripped his clothes. And everybody knows the king, therefore the kingdom, is in a place of repentance right now. But the reason why he ripped his clothes is because he says this. I'm paraphrasing this, but this is what he says. He says, I can't believe how far off track we have gotten. I mean, he's hearing the words of the law for the first time at age 26, How often were they supposed to read the law to everybody? Every seven years. What's 26 divided by seven? Three point something. Josiah, at this age in his life, should have already heard the word of God, the law. He should have already heard it three times. As he's hearing it now, taking it out of the rubble, should have been the fourth. Three times he should have already heard it. He had never heard the word of God. Somebody at some point failed to prepare the next generation. Somebody at some point in his ancestry decided that the word of God really wasn't that important. We'll keep it on our shelf. We'll keep it on our coffee table. We'll keep it in the church. But we don't really see the need to get it inside our hearts. That's what God always wanted throughout the process. He said, I'm going I'm to write not only, I'm not going to only write on your front list. If you look through 
you know, in the Old Testament, the, the priests and their garments, they would have d- different places where, where the God's word would be written, on, like on their forehead, wasn't it their forehead or something? But they would be written and everybody could see it. And God said, look, I don't want to just write my word on your clothing. I want to write it on your heart, right? But somebody at some point decided it really wasn't that important. And they dropped the ball and failed to prepare the next generation to the point that the, 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 the uh, nation experienced great tragedy. Our our life. I mean, we're, we're looking at our nation right now. We're experiencing great tragedy, largely, mostly, completely, because we've neglected God's word. Can anybody agree to that at all? Okay, and we can sit back and say, oh, well, what a horrible shape our country's in. We've kicked God out. We've neglected God and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. But we have to kind of take that and look at our own life. Have I kept God's word fresh in me? Do, do I, does, God, does God still have a voice in my heart. That's what God's word is really all about. We either close our ear to God's voice or we open our ear to God's voice and God's word operates that way. Joshua, young people, older people, keep God's word fresh in you. Seek it. The Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You wanna know what decisions you should make in life? Counsel, get your counsel from God's word. I know you're not gonna be able to open it and say, say, go thou to MU. You know, get married, have 27 children. You know, you're not, you're not going to get that kind of instruction, but what you get is this. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with a whole heart. You, you see things like, like God saying, if you call upon me, I will answer. I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. You see scriptures where he says, if you seek me first in the kingdom of God, all of these things, your needs will be met. That's the direction that God gives us through his word. Moses, you got, or Joshua, you got to make sure you keep God's word fresh in you. Here's what happens when we decide that the word of God is not that important. We never say that, but we act like that. Let's be honest. Is it, can I be real this morning? Nobody, nobody in this room would ever say, oh, God's word's not that important. We never say that. But the way we treat it and neglect it, that's ultimately what we're saying. And, and I've, been, I've been the world's worst. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not pointing fingers. Um, but we, we can say that about God's word, we can say that about uh, our commitment to the body of Christ. You know, when we get saved, nobody's an island, right? We become a we become a part of a body. And, and so you're coming to church this morning, not just out of obligation, but, and it is, I mean, it is a command of God. I mean, I can stand up here today and say, hey, God's, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's a commandment of God. And obviously I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here. But I hope that you didn't come today just because that's a commandment and you know you need to do that on Sunday morning, Right? You recognize that, number one, you, you sense God's presence here. You learn God's word here. But you become connected to a body where people can minister to you. And guess, guess what? You can minister to other people. I think one of the greatest things of leadership, the greatest leaders are the ones who are the greatest servants, the greatest followers. People are always wanting to lead everything, don't make very good leaders. But the people who know how to follow, know how to be a servant to other people, become great leaders. We learn as a part of the body. And so I read, the, I read something one time. I want to share this with you. I've never forgotten it. And it said something like this. I read this in a book. Um, it said that, you know, we, we can detach ourselves from the church. We can think to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus and I don't need church. I can live it on my own. And you may be able to do that. I'm not going to say that you can't. I don't know why you'd want to, but maybe you can do it. But what this guy said that made sense, he said, if if you do that, if you detach yourself from the church, from the body of Christ, and try to go it alone, 
you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're shooting your children in the leg and you're shooting your grandchildren in the heart. Let that sink in just a little bit. Separate yourself, detach yourself from the body of Christ. Again, not just going to church, but being part of the body. Loving on one another, being there for one another, having your needs met and meeting the needs of other people. We detach ourselves from that. We, we don't see the importance of God's word. We, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Now, if you shoot yourself in the foot, you can still get by. You know, not as good, but you can, you can still function. You can get by. Shoot yourself in the leg. Yeah, you can still make it work. A little harder than being shot in the foot, but you can, you can make it work. Somebody shoots you in the heart, you don't recover from that. You can't function from that. So what we don't see as a need, our children will not see as a need. If it's not important to us, I promise you it's going to be less important to our children and even less important to our grandchildren to the point where they're not even going to give a rip. That's, what, that's the way it works. Becoming a part of the body, those, those days, and, and I hope that you understand where I'm coming from here. This is not just a, again, you guys are here, so I'm preaching to the choir, but I, I hope, what I, what I hope is there's a changing of thought process where we, we get up on Sunday morning. It's not just a, well, I better go to church out of obligation, or, or, and there's times where, you know, we think, oh, I don't really want to go today, I don't want to stay home, I've been busy this week, we've done all kinds of stuff, and, which, and, I, and I, could, I could give you the guilt trip. You know, I could say, no, Sunday's not your day. I've heard that a lot. People say, Sunday's my day. No, it isn't. Again, I'm preaching the choir. You're all here. Sunday's not your day. It's God's day. He claimed it, okay? And we say, well, it's just my day. I got to get this done, that, that done, and stuff, and so on and so forth. We're thinking about who, for the most part, when we neglect what we know we should be doing. We're thinking of ourselves. But if you stop and think for just a second, my kids need to know what it is to be not only in church, but devoted to Jesus Christ, what we're trying to do here, we're, we're, trying, we're not just trying to raise up children to have church the way we do, okay? We're raising up children to take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart and with all of their soul, amen? You've heard me say it a thousand times, I'm not interested in religion. I'm not up here just because I want to be in front of people and preach. I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I believe in what he taught, what he did, and what he accomplished for me on the cross of Calvary. And I just believe that's worth telling people about. I believe that's worth devoting my life to. Amen? That's all, that's all God wants from any of us. Take up our cross, follow him. And the third thing, and this is probably the most important. God said, Moses, I want you to take Joshua and bring him into the tent of meeting. Who's having a meeting? Moses and God, okay? The tent of meeting, like I said, it was like the portable church house, the portable temple. That's where God met with them. I mean, God had met with Moses up on Sinai. I mean, now, being in the presence of God, that was kind of Moses' gig up until now. Moses was the only one, really, who, who knew what it was to be in God's presence, to hear the thunderous voice and to, to, you know, and to see the lightning. But Moses would go into God's presence to hear from God because it is in, this is the third thing, that it's in the presence of God that we hear God's voice. That's what we need to be teaching the next generation. It's what the next generation needs to understand. It is in the presence of God that I hear God's voice. Moses said, if Joshua's going to lead this country, he's got to know what it is to be in God's presence. 
to come to that place, that intimate place of prayer, not, not just to now I lay me down to sleep in a, in a, and not just going, again, this is not just about going to church. We do experience God's church or God's presence in church. I believe we experienced it today. You know what? I had one of, some of the things that, some disturbing things really that I learned in this pastor's conference and there's a couple, a couple of speakers that came and they're, they're talking about, um, you know, the, the, uh, the generations, there's, uh, I, I may get this all wrong, there's the baby boomers, I don't remember what year, if you're born from such and such to such and such, you're a baby boomer, um, you know, and then there's Generation X, which is around, uh, you know, my generation, um, you know, we were, we're in the uh, Walkman generation, how many of you ever had a Walkman, is there anybody from, yeah, I loved them, that was a, those of you, the kids know it was an iPod that was like this big, and you put a tape in it, right? And then you push play and your tape went, and it, and all, you know, it came out and you had to wind it back up with a pencil, right? So that's Generation X and the Walkman era. And then there's, uh, see, I think after that, the Millennials, Generation Y after that, and then the Millennials, and now Gen Z, they call it, I think after, born after 2002, or 2000, I think maybe it is. I forget all the numbers, but... And with every generation, you know, every generation had its impact on society, but with every generation, we're seeing a decline in faith, right? We're, we're seeing a decline in, in church. Not, and again, I'm saying church attendance, but you understand it's more than just going to church. That's what I'm trying to get across this morning. But won't even go to church. That number is just declining and declining and declining, largely because maybe the generations before didn't see the importance, kind of loosey-goosey. And so the next generation treats it even with less respect and, you know, so on and so forth. But one of the things they were talking about it, you know, Generation Z, and we got, or, yeah, generally we got a lot of you here today. It's that generation that's about to, to graduate. And, oh, I took that off my notepad. But, but he talked about, you know, adjectives and things that the society says about that generation, you know, and I get it. I know that every generation griped about their young people. No doubt. That Elvis, you know, he just horrible. You know, I mean, so every, every generation griped about their young people, and I get that. But, I, I mean, our, we have looked at our, our younger generation, and we, we throw out adjectives where people describe them. We say, oh, they're lazy, and they're detached from society. Always going around like this. And, and we, we just, in a sense, we speak curse on them all the time. They're disrespectful and they're rebellious, and some of them are, but there has been, there's been rebellious people in every generation. How many of you never rebelled against your parents? So I realize that some of that is in every generation, but we're wanting to paint with a broad brush. You know, we speak these cursings, and, and so, you know, these younger people hear all of this, and they think the older people don't respect us, and they don't believe in us, and, and they, they get that, uh, that uh, idea for a reason, because in a lot of ways we treat them that way. And but the guy, the guy that was speaking this, he's giving all these statistics. You know, he's saying, you know, what do we say about the generation? We give all these adjectives. He said, but I, what do you say about them? I mean, honestly, just be honest about the generation. What do you, what do you say about them? And the first word that came to my mind was real. This generation is is real. These young people are real. They're they're not going to do things just because we did them. Okay. That's frustrating to us at times, but in a way, that's a good thing. Don't take it too extreme, but that can be a good thing. They just, it, it's not that they're rebelling. They want to know why. 
Why, why is it like this? And then we ought to be able to tell them. Here's why. And then they can hopefully say, okay, I respect that and, and do it. But they're real. I mean, this is a generation of reality TV. The more real something, they don't want. Young people can see fake better than anybody else. Can't they? We paint on a smile. We put all the words. We put on all the foo-foo. All the religious foo-foo, and they see right through it. They're real. I believe God can use real. Amen. I believe God can use real because he's a real God and he wants to be real to people. Strip away some of the foo-foo and let's just be real about this thing. Intelligent. This younger generation is intelligent. You don't believe me? You have problems with your cell phone? Give it to one of them. Give them about three minutes if it takes that and they'll fix it for you. Intelligent. They think on a level I know greater than I think for the most part. But they got their own gifts, their own talents, their own abilities, their own callings that God wants to perform in them. If we teach them how to take those gifts and those callings, learn how to trust God and know that he's fighting for you. Learn how to take those gifts and callings and soak up the word of God and know what God is saying to you. Keep it fresh. Know what it is to go into the presence of God, that, that prayer time every day, that day, a time of meditation where you're clearing everything and you're just saying, God, I, I, I want to hear your voice. And God speaks to us in so many different ways. Sometimes he speaks through a sermon like this. Sometimes he speaks into the stillness of our voice. Sometimes he speaks through a word. But, but we, we say, I, I want to learn how to hear from you. And Joshua, for the first time, Moses said, well, if you're going to lead, you've got to know what it is to go in the presence of God. That's where you hear God's voice. And so Joshua goes in with Moses, and guess what happened? God spoke to him. <laughs> God, was, God was able to speak to Joshua and show him what he was supposed to do. I want this generation, this next generation, my kids, my kids back there, these are all my kids, my kids, your kids, I want you to know, and this may, for whatever this is worth, and I'm not just saying this as part of my sermon, this isn't in my notes. I want you to know that I believe in you. I really do believe in you. I believe in your gifts and your talents. I see them. And I think that if you give everything to God, then not only Crossway, but the church of Jesus Christ is in good hands. You're going to fail, but God's going to raise you up. He'll use your failures. I believe in you. I, I can't wait to see what I think that we should expect the generation after us to do greater things than we did. Amen? Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going, I did all these things. I'm going back to the Father. Greater things than these shall you do. Should be something in us to, I mean, I've, I've witnessed God in, in my ministry and, and what God has done. I say my ministry, it's his ministry, but I've witnessed and seen what, I hope that my kids do greater things. I hope they reach more people. I don't count numbers. I don't know how many people I've led to the Lord over the years. But I hope they reach more. Amen? We don't want to under, underestimate what they're capable of doing. This, is a, this thing is a relay. Oh, my goodness. I've got, to, I've got to move. I've got to hurry. I haven't even, Lord of mercy. Well, I don't even know why I wrote notes. I, I haven't even looked at them. I'm not even close to having this done, but I'm, I'm going to wrap this up, okay? So this, this, is, this is a relay. If you look at like in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing, the whole letter of 2 Timothy is, is, a, is, is Paul's last letter. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament books, 13 or 14 of them, if I remember correctly. He wrote, you know, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Colossians. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. But the last letter he wrote was to Timothy, a young man 
who was basically his protege. I mean, it was, he was his successor. You know, Paul had taken Timothy under his wing and had, had mentored him. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Now, if, you're, if you know you're about to die, because this is what Paul says. Paul says, I've finished my course. Okay, I'm, in other words, I've come to the end of my life. I, I've kept the faith. I'm about to die. And so if you know you're about to die and you're writing a letter to the person who's going to take over when you're gone, you're going to stick to the stuff that matters the most, right? I mean, if, you're gonna, if you know you're about to go and you're writing a letter to your kids, you're not going to you know, say things like, hey, don't forget to take the trash out on Tuesdays. You're going to think, what do these kids absolutely have to know? What do I, what do I have to make sure they know before I, got, I go? And that's what the, the book of 2 Timothy is. Paul is saying, what does Timothy absolutely, as the, lead, the leader that's going to take over when I'm gone, what does he have to know? And he said things to him like this throughout the book of Timothy. Stir up the gift of God that's in you, Timothy. You have gifts. Don't shove them under the rug. You know what your gifts are. Stir them up. Use them. He said things like, don't be ashamed of your testimony. Have some backbone for crying out loud, right? Know what you believe and stand on what you believe. Make no apologies for your faith. He said, don't shy away from suffering. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Study to show yourself approved unto God that that you might be able to rightly divide the word of truth, that you might know what's right, what's wrong, what God is speaking. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, all of these things. But here's one of the things that he said. What you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Get him to read again. Again, it's a relay. Paul knew, he said, remember, he said, Timothy, I finished my course. In other words, I have finished my race. But Paul understood that the race he was in was not an individual race, it was a relay. What is a relay? It's when you have a certain part of the track you run and then you pass the baton onto somebody else who carries it so far. They pass on the baton who carries it so far. And Paul knew this is a relay. I am passing the baton on, uh, the baton of ministry on to Timothy. Timothy, what you've heard from me, I'm giving it to you. You entrust it with faithful men. You're going to teach others who will be able to teach others also. It's a relay. In the 2012 Olympics, look, I'm going to shut my Bible so I'm proving to you I'm, I'm closing, okay? In the 2012 Olympics held in London, the Jamaican 4 by 100 meter relay team set a, a brand new, not only did they win and get the gold medal, but they set a new world record of 30, I wrote this down, it was a 36.84 seconds. That's how they went around, and, that, okay, what the, if you don't know what the 4 by 100 is, you have four guys that are going through the, around the track one time. This guy runs from here to here, this guy runs from here to here, this guy runs from here to here, and this guy runs from here to here. And these four guys ran the entire track in 38 seconds. It would take me 38 minutes, right? And they broke the world record. And the only way they were able to do that is because they mastered the art of passing the baton. When you're running out through there and you pass the baton, you mess that up, you lose a second or two maybe, especially if you drop it. But if you get it all, if everybody's baton passing is all jumbled up, you lose time and you end up losing the race. But they worked on that and they worked on that and they made sure that they were passing the baton correctly. Because they did that, they won the race and broke the record. So my point in saying all that is this. There there is a right way to pass this baton and there is a wrong way to pass this baton. 
And I could go, oh, I've got all kinds of points. I know you guys would probably prefer that I go ahead and do all of my message and keep you here till 1230 or 1 o'clock. I won't do that. But we have to make sure that we're, we're not just trying to pass on traditions and pass on our ideas and our opinions, but we're, we're passing on truth. Amen? So here's the thing. In order for a relay to work, in order for the passing of a baton to work properly, somebody has to be willing to receive it, and somebody has to be willing to let it go, right? Somebody's got to say, okay, I'm, I'm thankful for the guy that ran the race behind me. See, the last guy that came, you know, the last guy that run, that run the last part of the race and, and come across the finish line, they didn't give him all the credit. They weren't like, oh, so-and-so, he won the, he won the race, and, you know, and the whole team got credit because it was one race, Everybody had their part to run, but it was still one race, and, we, and they all rejoiced in the same victory. So the guy that receives the baton, he's thankful for the guy who ran behind him. Younger people, look, at, look to the wisdom of the people in front of you. Respect me. I'm so thankful for those who taught me the gospel. Amen? I respect that. Now, I'm not going to run the race exactly like they did. I've got a completely different stride. You can watch this video, by the way. You can look it up. Watch this YouTube video. That last guy that runs the race, it looks like when he, his stride, when he stretches his legs out, it looks like his leg goes from the, those stairs to those stairs. I mean, it was like way out long stride. It was different than the other. So I'm not doing, I'm not, my ministry is different than Lowell Parsons. It just is. I, I do ministry different than the pastor I grew up under. I'm running a different leg of the race. But we're heading towards the same goal. And so what I did, I, I learned, I received the baton and I, ta- and I respect, you know, the faith that the people behind me had. And so I receive it. And so young people, you got to receive this today. You got to receive this baton. But, but you, you, the person passing it off at some point, though, has got to learn to trust in the person that's going to run after him. I'm going to hand off the baton and I trust that guy's gift. I trust that guy's talent. He's fast. I know I can hand him the baton and let it go. What would have happened if he, this guy's running around, he's the third guy's running, and he's thinking, I just don't know if that guy's going to be fast enough. I don't know if I want to let him go. And he's holding on to the baton. This guy's going like this, and this guy's holding on to it. They're they, would have, they would have lost the race. He had to let it go and trust the talents and the gifts of the next one. I believe in you, young people. I mean, we as the older people, we train we, we teach, we, we lead by example, but at some point, we got to learn to let it go. Amen? And trust what God's going to do in them. Man, we, we hear all testimonies what God has done in our life. Do you believe he can do it in that generation? Yeah, he can. And he can do it without us when the time comes. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's it for whatever it's all worth. Again, if you want to know what the whole message was, I'll make a copy of my notes for you. But I'm excited to see what God is going to do in my generation. I really am. These last several months, as we got into this new building, and it's not about the new building, but we've got space, and we've seen some of you folks, you know, that have been coming to church here have just been such a blessing to this church, and it's so exciting to see what God is doing in you, and, and above all, the folks that have come forward and not just come forward, but have come to Christ. The folks that have been saved in just the past few months, saved and baptized, it's just, it is so exciting to me. It's, it's refreshing. That's why we do this. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, 
We're going to have an invitation here in a minute. You guys want to come to the piano? The, uh, the invitation is open for you to be saved this morning. If God's been dealing with your heart and you want to make things right with God today, then we invite you to do that. Come up and we'll pray with you and help you through it. I'm excited to see what God is doing and what he's going to do. I, I believe that throughout the remainder of my ministry, however long that is, God's going to continue to amaze. Amen? I, pl- I think he's going to continue to amaze. And I hope and I pray that maybe he keep me around long enough that I can see some fruit. Because again, I think that whatever God has done through me, you young people can, can take it so much further.